Of course, I go by the name of the kid. Famous Swell. This here is the Tim and Sid Show. You are now tuned in. Coast to coast. Edutaining the masses. Sports edutainment. Yeah. It's about to get started. Sit back. Enjoy the show. In five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. It's Tim and Sid. Ah, it's Tim No Sid for November 5th, 2020, live from the basement and the attic, if I am uh, correct here. That's right. Sid Sixero has the day off to tend to some business, but we pull the legend out of the bullpen. Stephen Brunt joins me from a lovely mahogany-trimmed attic. Is that, Mr. Brunt? I, I think this is uh, not that I did the work, certainly, because it wouldn't look like this if I did. But I believe that is uh, that is pine. I think that is oh. I think that is tongue and groove. Tongue nice and groove tongue and groove pine. Groove pine. It, yeah, it is my, but it is my attic, my office, uh, my bedroom, um, and everything else. Yes, this is where <laughs> right. I, I I spent a lot of time here in the old pandemic, so uh, I'm very familiar with this spot. <laughs> One. Thank you for going through the hassle of getting all the tech set up at the house. Like, that was easy peasy, right? Yeah, well, you know, we got there. We got there. <laughs> right. I said one because there's a two. The two is, yeah. how the hell are you? I am okay. I'm, I'm uh, like everybody else, right? We're, I've been, you know, chugging along. I'm uh, not obviously not doing radio with Mr. Blair this week. So I'm, uh, but I'm working away on a variety of other projects and uh, obsessively watching election results and trying to stay calm and uh, all of that stuff. So and it's and it's like spring out there, right? We're having, we're having this nice little kind of climate bubble here in uh, in southern Ontario. It feels like May instead of November. I'll take it. Right. It feels absolutely wonderful. Do we have a new president yet? I haven't been I I don't know if you know this, but I while staying kind of in touch, I feel like I've been a conscientious objector to all the stuff that is being thrown out on Twitter and on news stations because it feels a lot of it is just uh bluster and hot air. However, I know we're getting pretty close. Are we there yet? Yeah. Bad. Are we there good. yet? Dad, I need well, to know we're, we're there. <laughs> I wish. I was kind of hoping, you know, that, uh, yes, it's bluster and hot air, although, you know, the fate of the free world and the the world's greatest democracy may hang in the balance. So, it's you know, the stakes are kind of high, right. uh, not, not to overstate it, but um, we're, we might have one by tonight, although it will be disputed and there will be court cases and there will be much bloviating on Twitter, although a lot of it's getting... <laughs> Uh, it's getting yeah. uh, censored right now, which is interesting. Yeah, Jack, um, Jack's jumping in on the equation finally. Yes, Jack seems to be engaged right now. So, like, <laughs> uh, three out of every four are getting blasted. So, uh, it's going to be another, but it's going to be another tense, the third tense night in a row for a lot of us. Uh, but I'm hoping for a happy outcome, and then I have no idea what happens after that. I think the next two and a half months could be kind of interesting. My uh, my conscientious objection is not to the results or what happens here or to the hurt that people have felt along the way in all this. It's that I get irate while watching all of this stuff, and I can't do it. So I just step back, and then I ask, where, where are we? Okay, good, I'm out again. And by the way, I wanted to look this up because I saw that you were wearing a yellow knife uh, yes, sweater sir. on the air, and you talked about this wonderful... Uh, weather that we're getting, it is 18 degrees in Toronto today. It is minus 11 in Yellowknife today. Well, that's when I was in Yellowknife in January, uh, uh -huh. shooting for Hockey Day in Canada to going up to see the Northern Lights and stuff. It was, 
It was 30, kind of 36, 37 below. When we got up to Tuktoyaktuk on the uh, shores of the Arctic Ocean, it was uh, 40, it was the coldest I've ever been in my life. And I had all the very uh, uh, borrowed uh, Arctic gear and all of that stuff. <laughs> I, I looked like Scott of the Antarctic, right? But right. Uh, it, but it was, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a level of cold I've never experienced. But uh, I tell you something, Yellowknife is a great town. I, I highly recommend Yellowknife. A very cool place, underrated. It's not. It doesn't. It's not on the cool scale like Dawson in the Yukon. But right. I, I think there's a lot of good things going on there. My, uh, I, I've created one of the pandemic things that I've done here at the McAuliffe household is a new bucket list. I've created a bucket list of things that I want to do uh, because I've had the time, frankly. <laughs> and <laughs> as you said, Northern Lights. If you go back on the tape, my eyes light up. Because that wasn't on the list, but it should be on the list. Yeah, it's they have. Well, I'll tell you something. They have an entire. Now I don't know what's happening, going to happen to it this year for obvious reasons. But right. there is an entire industry around Yellowknife, probably other places, but definitely there. That's the place on Earth where you have the best chance of seeing the Northern Lights on there, like percentage wise. If you go there and for in the winter for four consecutive nights, I think you have a, like a ninety nine percent chance of seeing the Northern Lights at some point during those so people so they have this whole thing built they have camps outside of so you go outside of town to get away from the rather minimal light pollution yeah there's not a lot of lights in yellow knife but there's some (laughs) so you go out in the middle of the woods and the place we went they have teepees set up kind of teepee like tents you know and they all little stoves in them so you're going out at 11 30 you know midnight you get into your little place you 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 set up uh the get the fire going it's quite cozy in there and um and then they somebody comes around and hollers when the northern lights are out. So you try stay awake. You can you know you can have a drink or you can have a coffee, whatever you want. And then someone runs around and says, "Come out, come out, come out!" And all of these, they, there's they're, look, they have room for 450 people in this place I was in. Most right. of them coming from the far east because there's a big thing with the northern lights and the conception of children in certain cultures. Right. That it's a it's good luck. It's Did really it work good for, you? for the kid. It, well, you know, me and uh, me and the producer, yeah, kind of looked at each other. But it was it was interesting to kind of look around at all these other tents and right. think this is we are in a there's special things happening all around us here because the northern lights came out and then everybody disappeared. Everybody hey, disappeared. Share love, Stephen. Share love. Share love. Uh, all right. This this isn't the first time, Mister Brunt, best-selling author, outstanding essayist. Voice of Reason has helped us out on the show. In fact, I hear the term friend of the show thrown out there way too often. But in this case, as a longtime fan of the man, I'm proud to say, not only are you a friend of the show, but I have proof. A best of brunt, if you will, right here on Tim and Sid. He's an old friend. And he is the first co-host to ever fill in for either one of us. Best-selling author, Sportsnet contributor, and a guy who got into Bitcoins a long time ago. He doesn't like to talk about it. (laughs) The one and absolutely only. Stephen Brunt, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for sitting in for uh, Mr. Sincero. It's a they're big something to fill here, and I will, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Mr. Brunt, your voice is like velvet and peanut butter. Welcome to the show. I've missed you. I'm so, so happy to be back. Um, <laughs> is this the first time since the time? 
the time. Well, there were times before, but I'm and not there sure were times which time. after. There were times after. Okay. There Remember that one time you came on for a time, and the other guy didn't like that you came that on for time, a time? Yeah, yeah. I erased that. That time cost it because we had some times after that. It cost some time to So can I just do this randomly throughout the show? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, by all means, if you'd like to try a few out just to make sure you know what you're doing. Let's see my buddy Bob Coles here. I want to try that. Everything is happening. Right? It's amazing. Barrington Levy, Stephen Brunt, Stephen Brunt, uh, Barrington Levy. What hip-hop song is Stephen Brunt narrating? <laughs> it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. <laughs> One, two, three, and to the foe. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre are at the dough. I said a hip-hop. Hippie to the hippie. <laughs> the hip hip a hop and you don't stop. Tim McAuliffe graces your television screen every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. He looks like a great guy, but looks can be deceiving. He says he's a good old Canadian boy, but he's Maltese. Is Malta even a place? Sounds made up. Quickly, let's play 20 questions. Go. Okay, uh, is it a man? Yes. Is it a soccer player? Yes. Is it Cristiano Ronaldo? Damn it. Steven, uh, what are your emotions that your co-hosting duties are, are, are winding down here? What are you feeling deep in your soul? Uh, it's, it's, it's a funny combination of kind of deep, profound sadness and unabated joy. I'm not sure. So it's somewhere in between. But more sadness. I can tell. No, it's kind of balanced. Say, no, don't say anything. I can feel it in your look. Does that make you proud, or does it make you cringe? You could be honest here. It makes, no, I'm very proud. I like those <laughs> nice suits, man. I haven't worn one of those suits in about uh, six months, so it's good, good to see the wardrobe there again. Yeah, no, th those are those are all memorable moments for me, every, in their own special way. <laughs> in their own, kind of kind of a good way to describe Tim and Sid in their own special yeah. way. Uh, all right, we've got a great lineup of guests. Uh, maybe the most interesting man in baseball, Ross Stripling, is going to join us. Uh, if you don't know, he's a baseball player. He's also a stockbroker. He's also a podcaster. Uh, Brian Burke, who you wrote a book with, is going to join us just past six p.m. And as uh, is the case on every Thursday. Nate Burleson of Good Morning Football uh, and his myriad of jobs will join. we got a bunch of guys with a bunch of jobs. It's like the Amon family from uh, In Living <laughs> Color. Stripling has like three jobs. Nate Burleson has like 18 jobs. And Brian Burke just never stops working. Uh, so we won't. Let's talk some sports. And I know you, like me, are a fan of the MLB hot stove. And Sid and I have been talking this week about some of these huge names linked to the Blue Jays, including Francisco Lindor. And today, Bob Nightingale of USA Today suggested that a trade was imminent, saying that Cleveland intends to trade their all-star shortstop before opening day. Is, is this the best of the Blue Jays rumors out there? Or have you been enamored with some of the ideas of other people? Like, I don't know, Trevor Bauer, DJ LeMayhew, Marcelo Zuna, uh, or, or, or. Because it seems like they're in on everybody right now. Yeah, George Springer. How about let's throw him in there, yeah. too, okay? Because he'd, he'd, he'd be pretty good. He'd look pretty good in a Jays uniform. Um, look, this one's... Well, this one's really appealing, obviously. You know, he's the, he's one of the best players in baseball. He plays a premium defense. And I know you've got a shortstop, but 
you could shift him over to second base. Uh, Bo Bichette play second base, Lindor playing shortstop. That's a pretty nice keystone combination in the middle of the infield there. That would look pretty yeah. good. Uh, Lindor is, you know, young, uh, you know, in the absolute prime of his career. Uh, it's, look, there's nothing, you know, what's not to like here? Uh, the, you know, the question, well, what's not to like is there's, he's got one year contract left, one year of control. And right. I don't want to go down the whole years of control stuff and, and get, uh, you know, with Ross Atkins and get him mad <laughs> yeah. at me because I, Ross was right when he said that stuff. But that's the question, right? So what are you trading for? If you're trading for a rental, there's no point in doing that for this one season. It does, that doesn't make any sense. So you would have to trade for a guy that you were able to extend. And, you know, if, if you're Lindor and his agent, extending before going to now, the free market in the next year or two for a whole bunch of reasons, is very uncertain. Like this winter, who knows, right? With right. with the COVID season coming up and another COVID season coming up, who knows? After that, the collective agreement expires after 2021. Right. So, you know, if you're Lindor, I guess there's two ways you could go. You could say, look, I've been waiting my whole life to get on the free market and get, my, get market value and decide where I want to go. So why would I surrender that? But the other thing is you might say, boy, you know, Toronto's a good organization. They're the teams on the way up. They're willing to pay me what my agent and I agree is fair value for the next five years. Uh, and uh, so let's 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 make a deal. I would that would be acceptable to me. But that's that's what's got to be built in. Now, again, we're assuming a bunch of stuff, too, about the Jays payroll. And I, you know, I'm not sure we should necessarily assume that. But uh, if look, if, if they could if, if they thought they could extend him. Then you know, then then it becomes the the prospect price, Tim, and right. it would be it would be people we've heard of, right? It's not going to be some guys no. in the back end of the minor leagues. It's, you know, this is where you're talking about taking that prospect capital, and you know, or even young major leaguers like a guy like Lourdes Gurriel and throwing them in to get him. Right. For anyone who is a Jays fan and thinks that you can give some no names and get Francisco Lindor, you this is not the case. This is going to be one of the bigger trades that we have seen in a long time because of what you mentioned he's young he's a great shortstop and he's a middle of the order bat in the old school termination and in the new school you can put him wherever the hell you want right like this guy hits mm -hmm. home runs and hits for average and is a great defender he's he's everything so let me ask you this there's there's a, a pair of purse strings purse strings purse strings that need to be open here there is the prospect capital that you speak of, and then we're talking about a $21 million in arbitration, and then whatever it costs moving forward. I hear guys, as Trevor Bauer's name has been floated with the Jays, talking about $40 million a year for Bauer. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a weird time. Full disclosure, we work for Rogers. D do you think that the people upstairs at are willing to walk down this road with Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins because in chaos there is opportunity, but let's not forget there is chaos. <laughs> yeah, that's yes, that's right. Yeah, that's that's a that is a great way to put it. Um, <laughs> well, let, let's let's look. These are I think if you'd said to a lot of people, talked to a lot of people before last off season, you said by the way the Jays are going to they're, they're I'm not they're not going to sign Garrett Cole, but they're going to talk about Garrett Cole in a serious way with his agent, but they're going to go out and sign Ryu for, at four times 20 and sign a Scott Boris client who is essentially the next tier down in terms of the best starting pitchers on the market. Most people would have rolled their eyes and said, no way, no how. They're not in a position to do that. They're not at the right point 
in their kind of competitive window, and plus the owner won't spend that money. You know, because they had more money on the books then than they do now. And, and look what happened. So, look, there's a lot of reasons to think this. You know, I think the reason, like, Bob Nightingale and a lot of the other uh, national baseball writers are kind of throwing the Jays in there on, uh, in the conversation about just about every high-end free agent, all the guys we mentioned at the top, is because the Jays have very little payroll you know, commitment right now. It's about you know, $50 million plus some ARB settlements and things like that. And look, that number is going to grow as their young stars come into the arbitration system. Then maybe you think about extending them. But right now, like I think, I believe going into this season, Troy Tulowitzki's buyout is this fourth highest salary on the Jays. So if you could front load a deal, then again, this is assuming that ownership's willing to go for it and say this mm-hmm. is this is the moment. And again, I, I can assure you that Mark Shapiro has been preparing them for this conversation and this moment in terms of, you know, how do we get back to contend? How do we win a World Series? Yeah. But it's kind of, it kind of is the time because you can front load those deals this year and next year when you're not going to have a huge amount of money going out. Uh, keep your payroll at, you know, like, again, it's huge amounts of money. But in baseball, like $120 million. Like, if, if they had $120 million to spend this year, that would give them a ton of leeway to front load deals with a couple of big-time free agents. And then, you know, on the back end of it, you pay them less because you think you're going to have to pay your other guys more. So, yeah, it is – look, I'm not saying I, – I think – look, they made – I'm not sure they, they're – I don't think they're a postseason team this past season in a 162-game season for a bunch of reasons. Right. I just right. – I think this – it was great, but let's be realistic. But they're going in the right direction, Tim. Like, they, they are moving towards something. And, you know, jumping in at the right time when you have resources and adding building blocks, like, like I, yeah, I think now is the time. It's it's going to be really interesting to see it shake down, and it's really interesting in all of baseball to see how it shakes down. But there's one other Jays story that I want to get your opinion on before we move on. And again, Ross Stripling, Brian Burke, Nate Burleson, it is a packed show. Um, Vladimir Guerrero does an interview in his native Dominican Republic that was as honest as I have seen from Vladimir Guerrero. You have talked to Vladimir Guerrero in the past. What did you make of what you heard and his admission that he just showed up out of shape. Yeah, I thought it was uh, pretty astounding. Like, it, like there is a big language barrier. I'm, like I've I've interviewed him. Other people have up here. If we if you don't, I, I wish I spoke Spanish. Um, right. But working through an interpreter, there's definitely a barrier, and it's harder and harder. It's hard to get to kind of you know, and and he has a harder time expressing himself. You know, you, you take that layer, you add that layer to things. It's you know, all the nuance is gone for sure. Uh, but other than you know Marley Rivera's interviews with him, and she's she's got a real strong connection to the the, the Guerrero family. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anything like this, and that I think you saw that's that's him. Um, and I think it was honest, and I think acknowledging that he came in out of shape, uh, especially to this you know to summer camp, right? He was in pretty good shape in Florida. We all looked, but you know, so your eyes were not deceiving you when you saw him coming back for the shortened season and say, "Man, just, he looks a lot bigger." He was a lot bigger. He said he apologized to his teammates for it, for showing up out of shape. Um, there's, there's a, and, and I thought, you know, he compared himself to the other great young players in baseball right now and kind of compared himself unfavorably, which I thought, you know, took some guts. He said, look, the reason those guys are where they are now, you know, like guys like uh, uh, Acuna. Juan Soto. It's because yeah. they, yeah, it's because they work so hard. And he talked about kind of how things have come naturally to him. Why did he hit all those home runs in the minors? Because... 
You know, it's kind of natural ability. It wasn't work ethic. And I, I think, look, I think all of that's true. You know, everybody that I know that's, you know, around the team and around Vladdy believes those things to be true, that it came easily for him. Uh, he was a natural. Uh, he wasn't, didn't worry about his conditioning, came in out of shape for this, you know, and, and that that's impacted a bunch of things, including his play in the field, which he talked about. So, yeah, I thought it was a, it was a real window into who this guy is, more of a window in than I have encountered anywhere else, I would say. All right, we only got a minute left here or less then. Uh, is he a third baseman next year? Because he said that he was. Uh, I think that's a point of pride with him. Um, right. I think it depends who else is around. But I, I can't, I, I would have a hard time imagining them revisiting that experiment. Uh, Frank wrote in with my tease to break. He said, Burke, Brunt, Burleson, Big, Bold, and Ballin. Yes, and while we're talking Jays, Frank, uh, you might know our next guest is one of uh, the guys that they picked up in a deadline deal. But pitching is just one of his jobs. One of the more interesting men in all of baseball. Ross Stripling joins us next right here on Tim and Sid featuring Stephen Brunt across the Sportsnet television and radio networks. Tim Sid. he's off for the day, back tomorrow. Stephen Brunt sitting in for him. And a couple different tweets coming in at Tim and Sid on Twitter, which I am reading despite my conscientious objection to Twitter right now. Uh, Sean says, is that Steve's sauna that we are looking at? And I believe it's just, this is the, uh, the fancy person's uh, attic slash office slash library slash other things. Not a sauna, mm-hmm. not a sauna. No, we haven't. It's a good. It's a thought, though. Why not? Just a couple of <laughs> need a couple of rocks, and yeah, I can I can make that work up here. Uh, Matthew says, "Live look at Brunt's broadcast location," and pre- uh, proceeds to show a picture of a a cabin in the wilderness, which you also do too, don't you? Yes, I would that I had would that I was at my cabin in the wilderness. <laughs> I didn't get to go this year. Uh, all right. It's yeah. in Newfoundland and Labrador, for those who don't know. Uh, and I'm it's guessing the, it's not it's, both. It's in, it's in one of the two. But it, Yes, it's on the island of Newfoundland in the, in the safe in the Atlantic bubble right now. Right, right. Um, I, some breaking news before we get to Ross Stripling, uh, who is going to join us in mere moments from now. But the Kansas City Chiefs have reportedly placed Pro Bowl defensive tackle Chris Jones on the COVID-19 list, bringing his status uh, for Sunday's game against the Carolina Panthers in question. We're playing a Thursday nighter uh, with what might be me and you at either running back for the Packers or wide receiver for the 49ers. There's a dispute over a false positive, and there are a bunch of teams that have shut down uh, their facilities for the week. The We're going to have Nate Burleson on a little later, but we're just powering through this NFL season at this point, right? Yeah, I think, look, there are 100,000 COVID cases in the United States today. So, and, and you know what? Nobody in the United States is talking about it today because there are other things on their yeah. mind. But that, that, that's, you know, that reality is not changing anytime soon. So, you know, you know those players are living within the community and uh, they're, they're going home to their families and, and they're, you know, they're depending on what's allowed where they live. But, you know, a lot of places in the States, you can do just about anything you want. So it's, you know, COVID will be part of the NFL uh, and will be in dressing rooms, and there will be positives. And 
I, you know, they have their protocols to deal with it, Timmy, but it's not, I, I get, it's not, this is not just a football thing. We talked about it with baseball. They also existed outside of the bubble, but I think that the, the, the uh, prevalent philosophy right now is to just keep your nose pointed forward, get to the finish line. And unless something really horrific happens, which would be an athlete getting sick and ending up in the hospital or ending, ending up, up on a ventilator, I, I right. think everybody everybody seems to manage to find a clear conscience here to watch the game, right? Listen, the, the Marlins ended up this feel-good story at the end of the baseball season, even though at the time we're thinking, dear God, the, the season might end right now. And at the end, they're, they're this, hey, look who made the playoffs uh, with a speed skater at second base. Uh, here are the your Florida Marlins, your Miami Marlins. Um, but I wonder, and... and Nate will speak to this, but you and I can also speak to it. Are, are we now at the point where the integrity of the game is being called into question? Because I, this is the way I look at it. The NFL has seen what's going on. They know as well as you know that there are 100,000 cases, even though there's a presidential election going on and everyone wants to focus on that, while the rest of the country has to deal with all this unemployment <laughs> and, and COVID. But They just said, bleep it. Let us get through this season as quick as we possibly can. And if if we're down to practice roster running backs, who gives a bleep? Get through it, and we'll regroup next year, and we'll be the strong, powerful NFL that we always were. Yeah, look, I I think, you know, Tim, like from, yeah, if you take it out of kind of a moral context, right? Yeah. They're treating it like an extension of the injured list, right? Like, look, San Francisco doesn't have George Kittle and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, right? So that's that's not going to be good for them. Um, and they don't have some other guys because of COVID. So that's kind of how it's framed right now. It's it's an unfortunate thing that happens to a team if it's, you know, if you, you lose a key guy before a big game, boy, you know, but it's like somebody... Next man up. Next man up. Yeah, or it's like somebody hurting their knee in practice, right? You'd say, boy, the timing's awful. So that's kind of that's where and and I think from a sports point of view, from the sports business point of view, that's kind of how they want the conversation to be. That's you know, look with there was all the and look I'm not even gonna I'm not I'm not trying to stand up on a on a high horse here or anything, but it, before sports came back, there were, we all were wringing our hands about this, right? What's it mean? How's it going to work? You know, is it is it moral? Is it right? Should they be playing? Should they be allowed to play? Should athletes have more of a choice? All of that stuff. But once it started rolling, we started talking about the games, you know, and we, we really did. And baseball, when baseball didn't turn out to be a house of cards, we talked about the World Series. We're going to talk to Ross Stripling about the Dodgers. So right. that's kind of where the conversation went. And maybe, you know, I, I, I look, there are reasons why you might want the conversation to go there, too. I'm not going to deny that, right? There's a lot of real world out there and a little bit of pretend is maybe help people a little bit. Again, I'm not saying this is a public service. It's a business, but you know what I'm saying. No, and I think I think we're all in that spot um, to some extent or another. Like, like, we're all on that scale, right? Like, every single one of us. And you know people that are on the, on the side where it's like, you can't do this. And we also know there's people on the side where you got to do this because this is life. And the NFL might be the greatest example of that right now. They're trying their best to a certain extent right yeah like that's where we're at yeah that's 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 it and i but if we're you know if we're going to divide the world into things you can do and things you can't do safely and again every jurisdiction seems to have a different view of that uh correct so i don't 
look, when I watch a college football game, when I, I'm going to watch Clemson oh, Notre Dame God, on yeah. Saturday night. You, you probably yeah. are too, right? Um, yeah. There's going to be people in the stands, right? They're, they're not, it's not going to be full, but they're going to be fans in the stands. Um, as I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Or if yeah, I was I watch- there, would I be one of those people? I want to go to a game, and I said this to Sid, like I do. And then I watched Clemson take on Boston College, and I looked in the stands, and I was like, "Dear God!" And and over by the stone in the in the back of the end zone at the top of the hill, there's like, you know, cheerleaders and the band, and it's just, and it's like I, it, it almost looked like a different world. And when you realize, okay, I'm watching KBO in the morning, they've got fans in the stands. No social distancing. I watched Australia take on New Zealand in a full stadium, no mass. Like, they have conquered it. Like, there are lessons where we got past it, but in North America, we're nowhere close to any of that. Yeah, two different sets of lessons, right? Because you're right. You well, watched the, the, the you know, Australian Rules Football Grand Final. They just had packed stadium, right? Even, you know, and again, even though they've had huge issues in Victoria, they overcame them you know with the yeah. kind of a incredibly intense lockdown um but yeah with there's there are fans in the stands there for one reason there's fans in the stands in south carolina clemson for another reason which a is completely different a, reason, a yeah. whole different set of attitudes yeah and and it looks like we're not going to catch up with ross stripling it looks like uh, we'll have to uh, postpone him to another day so we'll continue this conversation but but that's the reality that North America is facing as we move forward and all this. And this, it, it gets a, like to be a drag. But the reason I pointed that out is that there is a possibility. And, and let's be fair, New Zealand, very liberal uh, country, Australia, conservative leadership right now. And they both got yes. by it. So it's not, this isn't a political thing there. They're, they're both no. getting past it. It helps to be an island. <laughs> I'll just say yeah, it, it does like, right off the top. Yes, yes. And it, a smaller it, it, island. It, 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 yeah, it helps a lot to be an island out in the South Pacific somewhere that, you know, again, my yeah. friends in Newfoundland, to be on a rock in the middle of the North Atlantic has helped them kind of manage their situation there. But, yeah, it's look, it's it's a fundamentally different approach, Tim. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how things evolve here over the next few months and few weeks. Because, look, there's going to be – we know the NBA is coming back at Christmas time now. Like, that's de- almost dead certain now. Yeah, um, close. The – there, you know, there was a lot of talk about the Raptors relocating to somewhere in the states, as the as the Jays did, but that's kind of that's kind of become background now. There's there seems to be a growing belief that they're going to find a way to play in Toronto, and I, I you know I think it's it's a different discussion than it was in the spring mm-hmm. because we were in a slightly different place, not in terms of case numbers, but in terms of kind of the attitude you know how we feel about workarounds you know how right. how we feel about managing risk and assessing risk what we're willing to tolerate not just in the kind of grand scheme of things but in our daily lives what are you willing to do and you know the conversation about nba teams crossing the border with a testing protocol and flying in private planes and staying in hotel rooms and stuff maybe doesn't seem as risky as it would have seemed once did it once did, even though we, you know where there's there's more COVID cases right now than there were then. So, uh, I th- look, I think I think we're on about it. Where I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think we're on the verge of a pivot here in our lives, where the discussion about whether there could be fans in the air, in the uh, Scotiabank Arena or the Rogers Center, that's going to be an actual conversation. You, if you can go to a movie theater, which you can where I live, you can't in Toronto right now, but. Right. Uh, but if you can go to a movie theater spaced 
socially distanced, why can't you go to an arena? What's what's I know scale is the difference, but other than that, what's the difference? Right. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Listen, uh, Ross Stripling was going to join us, but this is live television and radio, and we're not sure if we can catch up with them. So I'm going to make you a deal, audience and brunt. If Ross Stripling yes. is available to join us, we'll do that. If not, I never get to talk about the sweet science. And whenever you join the show, it is an opportunity to talk about boxing. Can we walk down either road after the break? Yes. All right. Sounds like a still, fine, fine idea. Still to come, Ross Stripling or boxing, and what's it like writing a book with Brian Burke? And what's it like writing a book with Stephen Brunt? We've got both sides of the equation when Berkey joins myself and his co-author, Stephen Brunt, right here on Tim and Sid, Sportsnet Radio and Television. Tim No Sid featuring Stephen Brunt, or as Terry Moyles writes into the show, Brunt, Burke, and Burleson on the same show. It is pretty big. Uh, And so is our first guest. And to call our first guest simply a member of the Toronto Blue Jays would be a disservice. Not only has he spent five years in the show with the Dodgers and the Jays, but my guy is like the Amon family on In Living Color. You only got chi jobs, boy. (laughs) All right, dated reference, but he pitches. He hosts a podcast called The Big Swing and is a licensed stockbroker. Ross Stripling joins us here on Tim and Sid with Stephen Brunt. Uh, Sorry about the dated reference. Sorry about the pause, but welcome to the show. We appreciate you doing this. What's up, guys? That was an awesome intro. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I heard that you were you were driving through West Texas, and I know that that is in and around home. And in my research, I got kind of got caught up. Is it true that your high school team also included John Curtis, who we just saw in the World Series, at Carroll High School in South Lake, Texas, among others? And if this is true. Did any team ever get a hit off you guys? Well, it is true, but he was two or three years younger than me, so we actually uh, never played together in high school. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I wish we could have because that would have been a heck of a pitching staff. Did you still win a state championship, though? Did I read that correctly? Dude, we lost in the final game. Oh. We were we were the run- runner up. Yeah, it's tough. Understood. Hey Ross, the the uh, we're we're not you know, just a little ways away from the conclusion of the World Series, but a lot of people, a lot of us watching that that celebration with the Dodgers at the end, you know, uh, Dave Roberts finally gets his World Series. He stands up there and gets to thank the world, and one of the first people he thanks is you. Um, how did you feel getting that shout out? Man, that shout out was awesome and totally interested. My wife and I are sitting there on the couch, and we're kind of feeling you know. A little left behind, but I'm really excited for the team and everyone that we've gotten to know there over the years. And then uh, all of a sudden, Dave Roberts says my name, and I, I just couldn't believe it that my mind, or sorry, my name went through his head right there. And it really meant a lot. I immediately texted him saying what it meant to me and that I appreciate it. And it's, uh, I think it just kind of shows you the man that he is and the and the character that he has. And that was that was really cool. I, I couldn't believe it. Was it tough to watch your former? Was it bittersweet to watch your former team win the World Series? Like, what was going through your mind? Yeah, bittersweet is the right word, you know, because it just, uh, you know, I was drafted by the Dodgers. I came up with a lot of those guys. I've obviously played with them in the big leagues for the last five years. 
and uh, lost two World Series with them. And then, you know, you watch them celebrate and bring their family on the field. And I, I want to know that feeling. And, uh, you know, it's a little bittersweet for sure. But obviously, also, so great. And really looking forward to 2021 and being part of a team that is uh, really on the up and up and has a really bright future. So, it's, yeah, definitely bittersweet is the right word. Anyway, well, look, I look ahead to the Jays in the second round, but just one, one last Dodgers thing. Just when you got the day you got traded, you must have, I, I, I given the, the way the Dodgers season had played out, you must have thought that that was, a, you know, a real possibility that that championship was gonna was was, was going to be won this year, that they're going to win finally win that World Series. What what did it feel like leaving there, knowing that you were leaving that behind? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, you, you think about that for sure, knowing that. You've been so lucky to be a big part of a winning organization and a team that wins 100 games a year and it competes for a ring and how how special that is and how uh, there's guys that might play 10-plus years in the big leagues and never make the playoffs. And I've been spoiled to make it all five years. You know, So you definitely think about that. But really it's about the relationships that you're leaving behind, um, You know, how much I've learned from Clayton Kershaw and how Corey Seager is one of my best friends in the world. And like those guys that you leave behind and you're used to seeing every day, and now, uh, you know, it's not going to be that way anymore. So that it's just a, a whirlwind of emotion for sure. It was hard to say goodbye. It happened so fast. Um, but then you find yourself in Buffalo on a new team with 30 new friends, and you just plow through and, and have fun with those guys, and, and that's the way baseball is. What can you take from what you learned in that time with, with the Dodgers and, you know, growing up with, with Seager and, and having Kershaw by your side? Like, what are the translatables as you go to a team, as you mentioned, that's pretty young and pretty talented? I have left him speechless. Or we lost him along the road in West Texas. All I, whenever I say West Texas, all I can think about is the song, The West Texas Town of El Paso. Yes. West Texas Town of El Paso. Marty Robbins. Marty Robbins. Is that who it is? I, I think I just, it might be. Yeah. Lyrics just pop into my head. Uh, so we've <laughs> lost him. We'll try and get him back. But it, it's, I mean, he was drafted with Corey Seager, right? Like he comes up from 18 basically with, with Corey Seager. He's known him for a long time. Um, sorry, Ross, I, I guess we, we lost you for a second, but you're back. And, and the question was, what are those lessons that were learned uh, coming up with, with Corey Seager and, and standing beside Clayton Kershaw that you can take to this young and, as you mentioned, pretty talented Jays team? Yeah, great question. You know, what you learn what it takes to be a part of a, of a winning organization for sure and just uh, how much fun it is to show up to the field every day and expect to win and the hard work that goes into it. Um, also, just uh, how to be a good teammate, how to do your part, you know, I was uh, I was a jack of all trades, like a Kike Hernandez, like a Chris Taylor, many guys that they have over there with the Dodgers, and that uh, sometimes you're not going to play shortstop every day or, or start every fifth day. It, it takes a you know a big a group of guys that are selfless and willing to buy in, and and uh, that's what it takes to win at the major league level. Look at a team like the Rays. I mean, they they made it to the World Series doing it as well as anyone we've ever seen. So that's just modern baseball, and uh, the Blue Jays have a great roster full of unbelievable talent and guys that are buying into into that version of baseball, and, and you're starting to see it pay off, um, you know, making the postseason this year and, and a bright future ahead. 
You know, Ross, like normally you get traded to a team, you might, you'd go explore the city a little bit, see what it's like, figure out where you might want to live, you know, check out the, the home clubhouse, see what the gym looks like, the facilities look like. You dropped into a team that, you know, was, you know, not homeless, but not in its home. What, what, was, what was the vibe like when you walked into that, you know, this, this team that had to play its entire season away from Toronto that, um, you know, really, really unusual circumstances? Yeah, you know, they were proud of what they had gone through. You know, they were proud to know that they had gone to Toronto and, and stayed in the Rogers Center for weeks and and, uh, and then to basically not be able to stay in Canada anymore, wondering where they're going. Are they going to Pittsburgh? Are they going to Buffalo? Uh, they find themselves in Buffalo and feel like they have a real advantage playing there, right? They got a lot of guys that came up through that level playing in Buffalo. And then um, – and then, you know, they know how to play in that park. And you could tell teams like the Yankees and, and whoever didn't enjoy coming to play us in Buffalo. I, I bet we had maybe 10 more wins than losses in Buffalo. Don't, don't quote me on that. But, you know, that's how it felt. We felt like we had a real advantage playing there. And um, you could just te- tell it was, a, it was a team that grinded and was young and excited to be in the big leagues and ready to compete with anybody uh, that stepped in, in, on, into the park with us. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I can't let you go without asking you about the jobs that I mentioned off of the top. Of course, baseball player. Uh, you're doing a podcast, a big swing podcast, and you're a licensed stockbroker. Like, why and what's the hardest for you? Oh, yeah, good question. They're they're both uh, challenging in their own ways, that's for sure. I tell you what, it's, it's – uh, as you know, it's interesting to be on the other side of an interview. You know, I'm used to answering questions like this right here. I can do it in my sleep. But keeping a conversation going and being the interviewer is is tough. And everyone has different personalities, talking about the podcast, obviously. So, you know, just trying to, to keep it entertaining, keep it flowing and stuff like that. And then on the stock market side, um, it's new every day. You know, everyone thought heading into this election that it might, uh, you know, the last two weeks of October were tough. And all of a sudden this week the market is cruising. And uh, the last three days have been up as much as any we've seen all year. So it, 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 there's sometimes no rhyme or reason to it. You may not understand it. And uh, it's just about learning as you go and and, uh, and plugging away and just keep going. Something tells me you like high-stress situations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No? yeah, I think you could say that. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I, I'm just a busybody, man. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't sit around a lot. I'm always wanting to do something. And, and uh, yeah, maybe high-stress. <laughs> Maybe I need to take up just like sitting by the pool or something. <laughs> uh, as as I've been in uh, lockdown for the you know a few months this year, I think you got it right. I would I would much re- sitting by the pool isn't all that fun. I think you got it right. The busybody's the way to go. Uh, listen, I, I wish we hadn't dropped you halfway through, but such is technology and live TV and radio. But we really appreciate you taking the time, and hopefully uh, down the road we can have you in this thing called the studio. Uh, that we hope to get back into soon. Yeah, I apologize for dropping out there halfway, guys. But thank you all for having me and look forward to meeting you all in person soon and, and uh, getting back on. All right, man. Be well. Stay well. All right, y'all too. Thanks. Uh, there is Ross Stripling of the Toronto Blue Jays, who wasn't far off. They were 17-9 and nine at Salem Field this year. So they did enjoy a little bit of a uh, a home field advantage when we thought there wouldn't be one. But that's got to be weird getting dealt to a team where from from the situation that he was in to a team with no home 
Yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's, well, it's never happened before that I can think of in the history of baseball. Yeah, and I know he's, I think, I think he played with the Dodgers when they were in Toronto in one of the interleague series. So he's been to the city, but you know, this will be, you know, if, if he comes north with the team and the team comes north at the end of March, it'll be all new for him. Uh, Big Swing is the podcast. Uh, sports, pop culture, business, and everything in between. He hosts it with a lifelong friend, and I guess stock tips included. Uh, the market has been um, rather volatile over the last little while, the last two weeks, although I think, uh, <laughs> I think we all could have expected that. I think, th- I think that was part of the election that we were went through. It's been happy for the last three days, Tim. Maybe the market's sane. What? No. Come on. Seriously? We'll see. Uh, we'll see over the next little while. Um, all right. So that was Ross Stripling. We didn't get the boxing conversation in. Maybe, maybe we will after the break. Uh, Brian Burke, Nate Burleson, both lined up. Uh, Berkey wrote a book with Stephen Brunt. Uh, we'll go over what that's like and how, uh, how attitudes changed along the way. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. And Nate Burleson on... What is another good week in the world of football, but one rattled by COVID? We'll discuss that with our football analyst, Nate Burleson. Sixero's off for the day. Stephen Brunt is in, but it is still Tim and Sid, coast to coast and live on Sportsnet Radio and TV. Time for real sports talk with Tim McCallum and Sid Sexero. Tim and Sid featuring Stephen Brunt for this November 5th, 2020. Sid Sexero has the day off, but he will be back tomorrow for the final Best Buy match game, Stephen, which is trended in Canada each and every time we have done it on the show. And tomorrow we will award a grand prize, a 75-inch 8 K U H D Q L E D TV worth six thousand uh, dollars. Can I Ooh. ask you? Are you mm-hmm. are you watching your TV as we speak? Is it behind the camera? And can you answer my question? Does the United States have a new president yet? Uh, my TV is not. It is over here, and I can't see it, and it's not on because I, I okay. this show requires my full concentration, as you well know. Uh, right. But uh, my, I have checked my uh, my uh, device several times here, so I don't believe we have anything declared as of yet. But it can't happen too soon. <laughs> uh, looks like we might have to book you for the uh, the boxing conversation, or maybe save it for the last segment of the show. Uh, Brian Burke coming up. Nate Burleson also going to join us in this edition of Tim No Sid. But the consolation was your friends, the Sheepdogs, uh, which played mm-hmm. us back from break. Um, there's a story of you and the Sheepdogs, isn't there? Well, me and Ewan, I, like we were, yeah, we were at. A, I was at a concert at uh, uh, down at the Ontario Place at the the amphitheater. And uh, remember concerts. Yeah, concerts. There are a lot of people, yeah. and I stepped aside and and to one of the little side bars, and and he was there, and we started talking. And um, he's a good guy, as you know. He's a really yeah. good dude, and I love the band. And uh, these uh, young women came up to me, and uh, and to him. No, they came up to him, and 
and which is always a great thing. Like, you know, it kind of reminds you of your, the, your life at, at another time. And they started talking to him, and they looked at me, and they said, is that your dad? Which is not, you know, and, and I said, yes, 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 I am. And we're, his mother and I are very proud of him. So... <laughs> <laughs> so I went on like that for quite some time. But, yeah, so whenever I see him, you know, the, the rare time when I run into you, and um, I do always address him as son. So the son of the son. I, my, my other kid, the very talented kid. Um, love bros. I love their other band, too, the, their side project. They're kind of uh, mm-hmm. R&B side project. So, yeah, good. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in on the Sheepdogs. Yeah, and you and Curry, salt of the earth. Uh, speaking of, um, we mentioned a couple big guests on the show. Our next guest I guess I guess I, just, I have the pleasure of of chatting with the two men involved with the writing of Burke's Law, a life in hockey. As Brian Burke joins us now, Berkey, how the hell are you? I'm good. Sit up another day off. <laughs> he is te- he's tending to business. That's that's I don't know if it's good news or bad news, but there also is good news that Stephen Brunt is now in for Sid's day off. Uh, Stephen Brunt did a marvelous job turning my story into something that people would enjoy. So. Hey, Berkey, how are you doing? a small is, task. Is, is Sid, does, Sid's day, does Sid's days off some, line up with your appearances? There's no pattern here, is there? Like, this is not, this is not a well, thing. I, just think he takes, I don't think it's targeted my days off, I think, or my appearances. I think he takes a lot of time off. <laughs> I, I, I've been told he's tending to business today. i got to ask you, and I just want to chat. I don't want to – it's not an – like, what's it like writing a book with Stephen Brunt? And before you answer, remember, I could just ask Stephen the same question. <laughs> Well, we, we've been we've known each other for a long time, and we first talked. Stephen asked me to do a book after we won the cup in '07, and I said, "There's not enough hockey. I got too much hockey left in front of me." And I, I was right about that. But even though I said at the time, I I I, I didn't think I would let Stephen write the book because I didn't know him. I liked I loved his books. I thought he was the best guy out there as a writer, but I didn't know him. And it's a kind of a personal thing doing a book. You got to tell a lot of the stories in the book and. And you got to trust the guy to decide what should go in and what should go out. Like, I, I thought there were some really good stories that didn't make the cut. But when I read the book, the finished product, I realized it was done by a professional, not by me. So I had done an outline of about 100 pages, and I gave it to Stephen, and he said, this is garbage. You write like a lawyer, which I am. <laughs> and so I, I really liked the way the book turned out. I liked the way he put some cliffhangers at the end of paragraphs and foreshadowing, and it was just well done. But it, it is... It is hard work and a lot of sessions, and you know it, it makes you reflect on your past, makes you reflect on the mistakes you've made as well as the triumphs you've had. And uh, the sad parts are hard, but it was it was good. Yeah, Steve, well, look, Brian, well, I, I yeah, uh, you want uh, I can jump in there, Tim. It's okay. Because yeah. um, I, I, I think look, I, I think you described the process pretty well. It, it like I, I and again, I dispute the fact that I ever said your version was garbage. By the way, I I don't remember saying that. <laughs> I do remember saying you wrote like a lawyer because you do and because you are. Um, but it's an look. It is an interesting collaborative process because you're not just dealing with uh, you're dealing with somebody's life, and it's not to you know to be. Uh, toyed with. You've got to be, you know, you you have a responsibility in my in my role in this kind of thing to get it right and to make it, you know, to get the voice right and uh, to get the details right. But I got to look. I've I've said this to a bunch of people, and I'll say it again. Working with Brian, Brian Burke has the greatest work ethic of anybody I've ever encountered. I to almost I would say almost to a fault because you know deadlines. You know, if the deadline was Tuesday, we had to have it done on Sunday. But, uh, you know, Brian's a, like, a, 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 I can see why he would be an extraordinary teammate. 
because you know as a collaborator on this thing i've never worked with anybody who was as committed to the project and committed to putting the time in and committed to getting it right as Brian. Like, not even close. And you, and you understand the risk. This type of relationship could have gone sideways the very first meeting. Like, so mm -hmm. we have a meeting, we talk, we agree on a, a business relationship, what we're going to pay, and then we do the first session. And I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath for that first section to see how it reads. If he's edited my language, if it's not my voice, it could have gone right off the rails right there. And I was like, geez, I hope I don't have a fight with him right out of the gate. <laughs> and then, like Stephen said, he gave me like, I don't know, 60 pages, I want to say. And he said, I'll, I'll talk to you in a couple of days. I said, I'll call you later tonight. I went through and edited all 60 pages, <laughs> found some typos. And, you know, okay, let's do the next section. So it, it, is a, it is a relationship that's fraught with peril. That relationship could go sideways real fast and real hard. And it didn't at all, and that's because Stephen's a professional. And I wanted—I told Stephen, I want these people to feel like they're in my office or on the draft floor with me. I want them to feel—that's why there's so much detail in there. If you want to understand the trade for the Sedins, I can tell the story right now in 30 or 40 seconds, but the true story takes 25 minutes to tell. The detail, the picks, the phone calls. And the way Stephen executed it, uh, people have said to me, I felt like I was on the draft floor with you in Boston when you did that deal. I can say. Sorry, Tim. I've got to follow up with one thing here. That's sorry. And, and I know I'm no, not no, following no, no, no. The, uh, the very complex protocol we have to go through to communicate here. But um, <laughs> two things two things that Berkey said there that I have to One is, Lord knows, I didn't want to have a fight with Brian Burke because um, <laughs> he, he actually is a fighter and I'm not. And number two, <laughs> note that he mentioned the typos. That's Berkey. <laughs> That's you, Brian, because it was a great 60 pages, but there were some typos in there. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the guy I worked with. And, you know, and it's great. And Let me you ask notice, you. I you notice this also, Tim. Sorry. Again, yeah, we're notable. all three, in, three remote locations trying to do this. That's why we keep <laughs> stepping on each other. But I think it's important. It's not a kid's book. Um, I think it's a book that professionals would enjoy that work in pro sports. It's more like movie, the movie Draft Day, right, where parts of that are so realistic of what happens in the NFL. Other parts, not so much at all. But to me, it was um, – I, I, I really felt it was important that people feel like they were there. The feedback I'm getting from people in the game, like GMs who have read it, agents who have read it, former players who have read it is that holy cow you this is it's your voice Stephen captured your voice the, what i was going to jump in with because you guys can't say it the book is doing awesome uh i've seen it it is doing really really well the one question i have for brunt and pulling the curtain back is how different so both you and i were working at the fan 590 in toronto when brian burke was the gm of the toronto maple leafs the vision of Brian Burke, GM, uh, whether it's in Anaheim, Toronto, or as the president in Calgary, how different is that from the guy that sat down with you to write this book? You know, I, in a lot of ways, it's not that different, Tim. Like, I obviously know Brian a lot better now than I did then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a different, it's a different, you know, very different kind of relationship. Um, you know, you're not across the, you know, uh, on the other side the of the aisle. microphone or the or, or the uh, or the aisle. Yeah, exactly. But I think, look, I think one thing I'd say about Brian is he's consistent, you know? I think he is the same guy. And, you know, when we would interview him on the radio um, or when I did it back in my old job, the Globe and Mail, um, that's the guy I talked to in a lot of ways. I, th I think, you know, look, Brian, you know, Brian understands how, Brian understood how the media worked 
way before he got into the media. You know, he's that's it's he's he's has a really good understanding of how we do our job. And he was in Vancouver. He became the point guy for the Canucks dealing with the media. So he gets what we do. But I, you know, I always thought, you know, like, look, we don't we wouldn't agree about everything in the world. Um, Brian's also the guy who could have a, you know, talk about a scrap. You could have a fair fight with him. If you had a debate with him, it would be a fair debate. It might get heated. Um, but you'd shake hands at the end and walk away friends. You know, that's, but that's, that's the guy that I saw professionally as well. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit of hockey with you, Berkey, before we let you go. And last week I felt like the show was hijacked by this, this OHL story. And it's kind of been a couple of weeks in the making and I kept asking our producers, when's Berkey coming on? When's Berkey coming on? Because I wanted to talk about it with you. Um, what did you make of the story and, uh, and, and the minister in Toronto or in Ontario suggesting that the OHL would return without body checking and then the back and forth that took place over the weekend? Like, what was your reaction to the entirety of the story? Well, I, my first reaction, first off, the reason I wasn't on last week, let's make this clear to your listeners. You mm-hmm. guys bumped me. For the World Series. You wanted to talk baseball, so don't give me this right. garbage about you've been dying to talk to me. You guys bump me. I, so, hey, I'm not, I don't book the guests here. I just, I'm my, just my a, first, an employee. My first, yeah, I don't want anyone listening to think I just took a day off. I am taking right. the next two weeks off, however. Right. Um, I figured out today that I've worked over 400 straight days. Wow. Like since crazy. we started last September 25th. That means the odd Saturday or Sunday off after we got, gave up hockey night. But otherwise, straight through. It's crazy. I haven't had a sick day or vacation day in 400 days, so I'm taking two weeks off. Anyway, I thought it was a joke at first, and I thought it's really easy to criticize the minister and say, what an idiot. But I think what she's genuinely trying to do is find a way to give her blessing to play, and this is what she thinks was adequate. Now, if that's all they can get, I would rather they don't play. Understand, when they canceled the season – and I'm going to use Jake Sanderson as an example. So going into this year, Jake Sanderson's draft year was 6'1", and he was 175 pounds. At the end of the pause, he's 6'3", 190. Like, these kids didn't sit around during the pause. They all hit the gym. They did their ice workouts. They've improved their skill levels. So if we have to wait another month till COVID rates drop, and then they put in body checking. But, I mean, isn't a face-off almost the same? You're going to butt heads. Is that the, what's so different from that from body checking? What you're sitting next to teammates on the bench, like it just seems absurd to me. And if that's true, if that's how they have to play, I would rather they not play. I just don't. I just don't. I think the rationale was just hard to like. Look, I, I think we're all Brian looking for ways that they can play. We're thinking about ways that they can play, and everybody wants this to be responsible and safe, especially when you're you know dealing with uh, you know non-professional athletes here too, right? You're dealing with with teenagers in a lot of ways, but. I I would think the ride on the bus to the next town would be, from what yes. my understanding of COVID, would be more dangerous than getting body checked with a face mask on, with a shield on. Yeah, I I that's and that's what I'm saying. It's absurd, even though I believe deep down it's a well-intentioned effort on the minister's part to get these guys back on the ice. Well, we can do it if you take out body check. I'm like, the shower is going to be more dangerous than the than a body check. The bus is going to be more dangerous than a body check. The right. team meal is going to be more dangerous than a body check. So to me, it made no sense. And I don't want the kids learning to play like that. It's like you watch the kids go from Pee Wee to Bantam. There's no hitting in Pee Wee. And their, their first month in Bantam, 
you're like, good Lord, don't they have any awareness at all? But they haven't played in a checking league before. I don't want to go back to that. When it's, when it's safe to play, when testing is at the right level, when we have the right responses, let them come back and play regular. If they do change certain, certain things uh, about fans being socially distanced, testing more, uh, fine. But if they can't play hockey, don't play hockey. Just keep doing the skill stuff. Um, my dad, in my first year of hitting, looked at me and said, it doesn't work when they see you coming. Stop doing that. <laughs> it, was, it was about two months worth of me acting like a tough guy and getting stood up every time. And he just turns to me and goes, listen, I, I, I stop. If they see you coming, it doesn't work. But do you remember well, that transition? Yeah. When oh, you yeah. see those kids get in the hitting for the first time, and you can sort them out right away. There's a, Half the group doesn't mind it one bit. And they initiate it, and they look for it, and half of them say, whoa, when, when did this start? Right. And I, listen, I, I'll say this, too. I'm not even against taking hitting out of minor hockey, and then when you j- make the jump to junior B or junior A, you can introduce it. There. Like, I'm not even against that. Like I'm not the hardcore, but I believe at that level you have to play with it. Otherwise, you're just going to get um, more and more pushing shoving and body contact in that level of hockey and then it's harder to make the jump to the nhl and we'll have more guys at a at a 220 pounds doing real damage yeah but then why would i have played hockey as a bantam if they didn't allow hitting i part of the allure for it was that it was a contact sport that's why i played football that's why i played rugby i would never have played in a flag rugby league like the part of the allure was i got to hit people like, some right. people enjoy that. The best thing about high school football was I played guard and linebacker. I got to make contact with another human being on every play virtually. Right. So I wouldn't have gone into hockey if they didn't have hitting. And that's the reason a lot of us crave that. It's a, I, a lot of us measure themselves. I am not disagreeing with you, and I think I, I – if you watched me play or if any of my friends are out there listening, they know I played that way. However, I'm just saying I underst- if someone wants to make the argument that they should take hitting out of minor hockey, I'm not against it. I'm, yeah, I'm not against it. But I, am. I, I think it's ridiculous. I know you are. I think it's ridiculous to suggest that the OHL do this and then not take other measures. And th- I think it's hypocritical and not take other measures that they could yeah. take to do what they're trying to do. Yeah, well, I, I think well-intentioned, but absurd. Right. Right. Um, in the two weeks that you take off, Berkey, do you think we'll get any movement in this free agent market? And do you think guys like in the RFA, like Matthew Barzell, will be signed by the time you come back? Yes, but I, I, yeah. I do believe that. I, I think the I anticipated two offer sheets this summer, this offseason. And a lot of the te- a couple teams that I thought would do it were tempted to do it, have used up their cap space where they can't meaningfully do it. There's still a possible. Tampa is very Tampa Bay is very vulnerable right now to an offer sheet, yeah. as are the Islanders. Uh, very vulnerable. I think they have 3.6 million in cap space on the island. Barzell is going to be a eight plus nine plus million dollar a year player, but they they can go 10 percent over the cap. During the during the off season, so they can to match, they can go to 88 million, and they'd certainly do that. And then they're going to keep that 3.6 to make sure. And then you, I, I think Lou will get it done. Lou gets things done. Uh, that's been a remarkable uh, thing about him is he gets things done. So I think he'll get it done. And I think 
Barzell probably likes to play there. They have a chance to be a really special team, I think, down the road. Um, so we'll see. How many, Brian, how many teams, like you said, their team's tempted? Like, what, well, to, New Jersey. How many teams? Yeah. New Jersey's got cap room. It would be a coup to steal them away from their crosstown rivals. Um, it would be a big splash for a young GM. Uh, they've had to have had this discussion a dozen times. Um, Montreal had lots of draft uh, cap space. They made an offer sheet last summer on Sebastian Ajo. They would have thought about this earlier, but they've spent all their money now, and wisely, by the way. I think they've really improved their team. So you've got to have your own draft picks to meet the compensation scheme, and a lot of teams don't have their own draft picks. You've got to have the cap space, and then you've got to make the offer one where the player is – tempted to leave, tempted enough to sign the offer sheet, and big enough that the team won't match. And I guarantee you, with a player like Matthew Barzell, they will match. They will go over the cap, and they will solve this problem somewhere else. The cap casualty for the New York Islanders is not going to be Matthew Barzell. It's going to be some other poor slob. Right. Uh, D writes in in the middle of all this and says, Berkey hasn't had a day off in 40 days. Sid watching the show and any puts a gif on there of homer simpson disappearing into a hedge <laughs> 40 i said i said 400 400, 400, I say 40? Yes. 400. last september 400. 25th and i honestly I, mean I didn't i didn't realize it until someone said it to me he said you haven't taken any time off and i'm like it was actually one of my bosses rob corte was saying if you know if you need some time off just ask for it and i'm like yeah I, i'm gonna soon but i said i, I have my schedule with my daughters and so on and then someone said, I think it was Rob, someone else called me and said, you started last September 25th. We're now at November 5th. That's 400 days. And I'm like, time for a holiday. I, I mean this. And Stephen and, and I both had the, con we had the conversation with each other before you came on off the air. Like, there are some real hard shows during this pandemic and what followed it. And you never shied away. You never asked for the day off coming on and joining us. We may have bumped you for the World Series a couple of weeks ago, but you never asked for the day off. And you were still going to the studio till they told you not to. And I'm not the one on the show prone to hyperbole. You've been a great teammate, and I know why I'm not alone when I say thank you for being that great teammate. And it's something that is way too underrated these days. So enjoy the two weeks off. Here, here, well, here, here. Coming, coming from you, both of you, that means a lot. I appreciate that. You just made my day. Honest to God, Tim. Yeah, I, I, I hope I did because I mean it, and I'm not, I'm not a BSer, and I almost said not BSer. I almost said the <laughs> other thing for BS. So enjoy it, and hopefully soon uh, we can enjoy a, a drink and a steak together. Done. Thanks, guys. Yes. All right, be well. All of us. And Brunt is good at picking the drink to go with the steaks. So. <laughs> I could do that. I could do yes. that. I could pick the You've steaks, done that too, before. if you want. <laughs> You've yes, done I that have. before. Uh, true. And he, now that he's off the air, we can just reiterate. Like, this dude, whenever we needed him on either one of our shows, he was there. Yeah. Look, it, look it's not. Look, I'm not saying you know, doing sports radio or sports television is like being a frontline worker, right? Like, it's, it's right. all it's, you know, degrees, right? But this, it, it was, especially in the spring, it's, there was... This was a it was a tougher gig, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and there was questions about whether you wanted to be in a studio or be in a building, and um, everybody was kind of figuring it out for themselves. But the one yeah. guy who was absolutely 100 percent consistent, saying, "I'll be there tomorrow. What do you want me to do?" was was that guy. So you you know, I'm glad right. you said that because it's true. And and what you say, I hope we start at that point. Like we understand 
always that there are people who are in a way tougher situation than you and I talking sports uh, from our attic and our basement. So thank you for adding that, too. All right, time for a break. When we come back, uh, the NFL is kind of sort of up against it. We're playing a Thursday nighter tonight, and if you look at the starting lineups, you may be a little surprised. Uh, Nate Burleson will join us next. We'll go through the lines and then ask him how the hell we're doing all this. And, oh, yeah, Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, two of the greatest to ever do it, meeting this weekend. We'll do it next. I'm Tim and Sid featuring Stephen Brunt on Sportsnet Radio and TV. Tim and Sid, Stephen Brunt in for Sid Sixero, who will be back tomorrow. Frank wrote in and said, great segment feels like we're sitting unnoticed in the back corner of the Sportsnet break room, eavesdropping like a creeper. It's kind of what we wanted there, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, if that's how it came across, that's great. I, man, that's, that, that's a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, so Burke's got some time off. Uh, Brunt filling in for Sixero, as mentioned. But that doesn't mean that we don't have time for the lines. And it is time for the lines. Brought to you by Sports Interaction, Canada's odds maker. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Week 9 in the National Football League. A couple of big early games. 5-2 and two Ravens, 5-2 and two Colts. Ravens a slight favorite on the road. Although that doesn't mean as much as it used to. In Buffalo, 6-2 and two Bills are three-point underdogs at home to the 6-1 and one Seahawks. Tua and the Dolphins, four-and-a-half-point dogs against the Cardinals in Arizona. Nice quarterback matchup of two young kids, Tua and Kyler. Uh, Steelers, two touchdown favorites against the struggling Dallas Cowboys. Sunday Nighter features Breeze and Brady. Saints beat the Bucks at home week one this week. Bucks four-point favorites uh, at their home. And Monday Nighter, two and five Patriots. Seven-and-a-half-point favorites against the winless Jets. We caught up with our NFL analyst, Nate Burleson, a short time ago to discuss the upcoming weekend. Nate Sixero has the day off, so allow me to introduce you to the legend that is Stephen Brunt, Stephen Brunt, Nathaniel E. Burleson. I don't know what the E stands for. However, let me do the introductions here. Steve, what's up, man? How you doing, brother? And it, good, to see, good to talk to you, man. It's good to see you. Of course, of course. Uh, I've been trying to stay off Twitter of late for obvious reasons, um, save for the show, Nate Dog. But I did go out there. And something came across my timeline yesterday, to be exact, November 4th, and it was called Sports Clips, This Day in Sports Clips. And November 4th, 2007, happened to come across my timeline. And I don't know if you remember this or you saw this, but a young, fresh Nate Burleson, 2007, fielding a punt way too deep in his own zone. However... A little running man inside the 10, maybe a little cabbage patch, some Barry Sanders mixed in there, and 95 yards later, love, peace, and hair grease. Uh, did you see this and the LeBron celebration at the end in yeah. Cleveland particularly nice? Did you see this? Do you remember this? What's your recollection? I, I do remember it. I remember it vividly. It's one of my favorite uh, touchdowns of my career. It's funny because, you know, there's this written rule, unwritten rule. Coaches say it all the time. Do not catch the ball inside of the 10-yard line. So you put your hip on the 10 and you anchor yourself. 
but they were so far away. And I just thought, if he gets a hold of this, I know I'll have some room. So the ball goes up, boom, and I'm looking at it. I peep at the gunners to make sure they're not close, and it starts sailing. So I take a few more steps back, a few more steps back, and I look down, and I'm on the six, and I'm like, holy smokes. And Mike Holmgren was no joke. He was an old-school, hard-nosed, he's going to cuss you out. So I remember thinking in real time, if I don't make something happen, he's going to tear my head off from the sideline. So I do like like I'm skiing, just side to side, boom, boom, boom. And this little gap opens up. And I remember in my mind, it was like, Nate, go, 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 go. And I just shot the gap. And then I'm, I'm bad ball control. So for all you kids, make sure you tuck it away. But in my head, I knew. I knew I was going to do the LeBron celebration because I remember passing all these billboards and I had LeBron everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to LeBron. If he takes it to disrespect, I don't care. I'm disrespectful. I was, I was a kind of a, a, a wild one back in those days. And I remember getting to the sideline because I had a big catch in the first quarter. Then I had that. We were winning most of the game. And I'm feeling myself. I'm doing the whole, hey, what's up, mom? Looking at the camera. What's up? Tell my homeboys back. What up, nature? <laughs> And Holmgren comes over, and Holmgren walks over. It's kind of like the teacher walking back in the room. So I kind of tighten up, and I'm on the bench, and everybody's like, shh. And he leans in real close, and he's like, you know I effing hate it when you catch the ball inside the 10. Takes his head, and he goes, but good job. And he walks away, and I was like, what kind of compliment is that? It's like a backhand compliment. But I took it, though. That was his way of saying, like, don't do that again, but you're lucky you scored. And uh, I made sure that I, I, I scored every time I took a risk like that. Yeah. I, I love the end of that, Nate. I was watching the you, – you, like, when the last guy is the kicker, and yeah. it's the kicker between and it, like that's not one of the greatest tackling attempts I've ever seen. He kind of faints. Um, yeah. But, but it's got to be a great feeling when you know that that's the only guy between you and the goal line. For sure. You do. You you automatically think, OK, I'm the better athlete. I should win this. But then there's this fear. Like if this kicker gets me, I'm never going to now. Like a kicker tackling you is kind of like like Daniel Jones falling in the open field. Like it's like it's like getting hit by a sniper while you're wide open. So uh, I just knew I couldn't let him get me. And luckily, as soon as I, like, put the ball over his hand, like Ray Frosted in the N1 mixtape video, <laughs> down, I was like, oh, crap. And then I started thinking about my celebration. I'm like, oh, we going to party. The sad part is we lost the game. So it was off or not. <laughs> Skip to my loo. Oh, my grandson. <laughs> the professor. Uh, Nick Burleson joining us here. Could you tell we showed the N1 mixtape tour on the Score Television Network back in the day? Uh, that might have been me. Um, so Packers, Niners, uh, I guess we're playing this game, and I know you're sitting out in front of your your high school team that has had to sit out a couple weeks. Are, are you surprised that we are playing this game tonight? Yeah, maybe I should call some of my high school athletes to see if they want to suit up for the 49ers. <laughs> you know, this, this is wild because – I've never once stepped on the field, even with injuries and guys that are down, as we're looking at the notable 49ers that are out. I've never once thought to myself, oh, this is unfair. But a part of me kind of feels like this is unfair because it's not a couple of guys. It's not one or two superstars. You're talking about major, major players, difference makers on this squad that can't play. Injuries to COVID to season-ending injuries, it's tough. Yet and still, Peter Schrager and Kyle Brandt said that they're picking the 49ers to win this game. 
which in real time, as I'm on the show, I'm like, okay, maybe I am giving the Packers too much credit and not giving the professional athletes on the 49ers enough credit. And forget about the, the, the players for a second. Maybe I'm not giving Kyle Shanahan enough credit. I actually mm-hmm. played for him in my Cleveland days and the head coach for the Cleveland Browns when Kyle Shanahan was offense coordinator was Mike Pettin, who is the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, who, if you look at last year, Kyle Shanahan got the best of. Not only his former head coach boss, Mike Pettin, oh, yeah. also Matt LaFleur, who's the head coach for the Packers. So I, I do feel like as much as we may feel bad that all these guys are down for the 49ers, I guarantee you this, the 49ers are coming in to win this game. You know, Nate, I, I guess, you know, look, we saw baseball let the Marlins go on playing with a bunch of guys off the street. So, we, you know, that we have seen these kind of scenarios already during the pandemic in sport. Like, we're going to play no matter what. But in, in terms of the NFL and the schedule at this point, it, I, I get the feeling that unless a player gets sick, and we haven't really had to deal with that yet, which is different than testing positive. But if, unless a player is actually sick, um, seriously sick, it, it feels like they're just going to steamroll right to the end here. That there's almost nothing that is going to disrupt this schedule from this point on. Does that For sure. sound I, fair? That's pretty fair. And, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, the old saying, the train has already left the station. The, the, the hay is out the barn. I don't know if it's in the barn. I don't, <laughs> I don't live in the barn. What I do know is the chicken has left the coop, guys. So we're going to have this season. And I'm going to speak on it personally for my Sunday job, which is on CBS. We have the Super Bowl this year. So I don't obviously don't want guys to come down with COVID and I don't want there to be any, any, uh, any casualties. I don't want anybody to be sick and put anybody in danger, but damn it. I want to call another Super Bowl. And I feel like with the season that we have, the superstars that are still playing aside from the injuries, aside from guys popping on and off the COVID list, we still have some major players. And by major players, I mean superstars across the league that are playing. So um, we're, we're going to have this season and we're going to finish it just like the NBA did in the bubble. All right, let's talk about some of those superstars. Nate Burleson joining us here on Tim and Sid with Stephen Brunt in for Sixero. When I say Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, what goes through that cranium? Tom Brady is fighting off father time just a little bit better than Drew Brees. And I'm not saying that Tom Brady is necessarily the better quarterback. It's really a, a question of preference. I'm just saying that Tom Brady is willing to take shots downfield. That could also be the technology that he's playing with. By technology, I mean the players. He has Mike Evans, Chris Godwin went healthy, Scotty Miller, Gronk, you know, a host of tight ends. And now he's getting A.B. Tom Brady knows that even in his mid-40s, he got to let that thing go. It seems like Drew Brees is still comfortable with nickel and diamond the ball down the field, which is fine. You can still win games like that. I just feel like this game will come down to who wants to take the most shots. And what I've seen so far this season Tom Brady and the Buccaneers offense are more willing to. Does that, does the thinking change if Michael Thomas is back? Looks like he's going to play. Um, like that, a lot of the dinking and dunking for Drew Brees is like, I know you got to make do with what you've got, but he hasn't yeah. had a lot in terms of downfield threats, has he? For sure. He hasn't had uh, much. They've been trying to make do with who they have on the roster. But I also feel like Mike Thomas is comfortable with the nickel and diamond. He likes the intermediate routes. Like Michael Thomas isn't a blazer. Now that Antonio Brown is on the roster. They have Scotty Miller. Like, they got everything on that receiving core for the Bucs. They have the tall chain movers. They have the guy that can go across the field and be physical on Chris Godwin. Scotty Miller is like your Wes Welker, Amendola, Julian Edelman, not have anything to do with skin colors. More yeah, side. Yeah, all the white guys. Um, <laughs> you know, and then they have Antonio Brown, which 
he's a game breaker. If he can buy into what they're selling and stay as focused on the field as he needs to off the field, Antonio Brown is going to make an immediate impact. Like, let's not forget this dude was on his way to a Hall of Fame career before things started to crumble because of his own doing. But by the way he's talking, I think he has his mind right, but everything's good right now. What happens when he's not getting the ball? What happens when the team is losing? What happens when they start criticizing? What happens on the flip side when he starts to ball out and he's the man again? Because there's nothing like the power a player feels when he's filled with all of this praise he gets. Right. It's, 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 it's literally like a rock star complex. So I, I feel like Antonio Brown, he's dealt with some of those issues. I'm excited to see him on the field. Um, but more than that, I just hope he got, his, he got his life right. You know what I mean? He got his mind right. He got his spirit right. And he's, he's happy. Because I, I feel like he, he was acting out and raging against the machine last year because maybe there was just some areas in his life he, he wasn't happy with. And it, and it started to spill out into professional sports. I've said this before, and it's usually about life, but perspective is expensive. And yeah. I feel like, listen, there is a little bit of hypocrisy here. And we all know because we've lived in sports for a while that right. talent is often forgiven. Yep. And in this in this world where cancel culture seems to be one of the buzzwords of the day, the, the, the fact that he's getting this shot speaks to his talent and that the idea that talent is forgiven. But how how quick a leash do you think it is? I mean, he's got the cosign of all cosigns, the GOAT. Tom yeah. Brady is, has co-signed this guy. And I saw Bruce Arians look into the camera, Nate, and say, look at my track record on this. I don't know that Bruce Arians wanted to bring in Antonio Brown. I think it was Tom. So right. how how long or short is the leash on Antonio Brown and his behavior, because you're right. He said all the right things yesterday. It's short. And, yeah. and rightfully so. You know, I was talking with Bill Cowher, who knows Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Who's, yeah. who's posted his fair share of personalities, if you will. Um, and we were talking during the commercial break, and the, and the topic came up, uh, toleration. What do you tolerate? As a coach, mm -hmm. what do you tolerate? And Bill Cowher paused, took a breath, and he said, it depends on how talented he is. It's a heavy statement, but it's reality, though. And 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 this is what I will always I will also say, you know, as people will sit back and say, well, he doesn't deserve to be back in the league, and oh, I, I don't want to cheer for the Bucks. I'm not a fan of Antonio Brown. Well, the league forgave him, and the league let him back in. And I'm not saying the the league is flawless when it comes to allowing guys to step back on the field, but they've had to do their due diligence. I I, I think there's like a, a court. Uh, a court appointment he's going to have a little later this year. So there's steps still that need to be made by Antonio, by the league, in order for this to be all forgiven. Um, but the, the leash is going to be short because they have what they need. I think that's the one thing people are uh, failing to you know, admit. Like, the Bucks don't need them. They're just adding more firepower. Um, and if it works, holy smokes, they took a leap of faith and it, it could – it could lead them all the way to the Super Bowl, which is in their city. And Nate, how does how does the dressing room like? How do players react when an Antonio Brown comes in in a situation? Again, I'm not an Antonio Brown. It's not like there's a thousand of them, but right. is is it that straight up where where guys said, "Look, we got a chance to win a Super Bowl this year. This guy, that's clearly Tom Brady's attitude. That was his attitude when they had him in New England. Like he, you know, warts and all, this guy can help us win. I need somebody to throw the ball to." But is there 
you know, is there skepticism in a dressing room? Is there, you know, are, are people, are the guys going to be wary? You know, because again, he, there are off field things that are still not, you know, there's some things that are not tied up in his life. As you said, he's going to be back in court. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some skepticism. I, I said that, you know, toleration depends on how talented a guy is, um, but it also depends on how much the team is paying to do. So if a guy is making top dollar, they're going to give him as long a leash as possible because they're invested in that man. How many times have we seen it? We've seen it time and time again. So so now you, you have Antonio Brown, who is basically on a rental price, and also majority of his money is tied up in incentives. So I, if Antonio wants to play and make his money, he's going to have to keep his nose clean. So as a player, if I'm in that locker room, I'm sitting back saying, all right, I know you're talented. You were the man when you were on Pittsburgh. Over the last couple of seasons, you kind of went left. You're back in. You're back on the field. We know who you are when you want to play ball. We also seen some of the darker sides of you. If you play ball, we got your back. The moment you mess up, you are in addition to the family anyway. We can always walk you out. Like the 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 the, the hard part is accepting you. So it's going to take time. It's not like oh week one you're good we're all family. It's week to week. It, it is lit. when guys go through something like this and they're back on the team. It's literally week to week. And guys pay attention to, I mean, everything. How you act in the locker room, how you treat people that are in the facility, not just the team, the coaches, how you act with the fans, and also, another element, how you act when nobody's watching. So when you leave the facility and you're going out to dinner and you're kicking it and you're at the bar, like, do you still kind of slip back into your old ways? And the reason, like, this is so personal because I've been there. Like, I mean... I hate to say it, but we all got a little bit of Antonio Brown in us. We all got a little bit of rock star in us. And I'm not going to use Antonio Brown's name like it's a, it's a definitive statement. That means bad guy. I just mean we all got rock star in us. We all got a little Odell in us. We all got a little Mick Jagger in us. We all got a little Elvis Presley, James Brown. We all got a little. Basically what I'm saying, we all got that. So I had to deal with that, too. I remember at one point I thought I was... God's gift to the world. I thought I was the slickest thing to ever hit Reno since the slot machine. And I literally really thought that. And I was surrounded by slot machines. And at one point, I had to tell myself whether it was due to injury, whether it's due to being released, whether it's due to getting my butt whooped on the field, whether it's due to just being humble. I had to realize, nah, the world doesn't revolve around me. And I think Antonio Brown realized that sitting outside of football. Football moved on. Yeah. We stopped knocking at his door. Not only did it move on, we start praising other players. You see how quickly that happened? Remember, Antonio Brown was at the top of conversation. Then when he was going, it was DeAndre's pretty good. Michael mm -hmm. Thomas is pretty good. Devontae yeah. Adams pretty good. DK Metcalf is coming. The game will always move on without you. And I think that right there humbled Antonio Brown the most. Perspective is expensive, but also uh, LeBron Chalk hey. is nice. <laughs> LeBron Chalk is nice. Uh, Nate, always appreciate the perspective you bring to the show. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate you guys, man. Have a good one, all right? There is Nate Burleson out in front of the uh, high school that he coaches because he doesn't have enough jobs. Uh, CBS Sports, he does things with DraftKings, he does things with Extra, he does things, of course, with Good Morning Football. Like I don't even know how you do that. Have you ever done the morning show? In all no, of your many, I have no. No, I and no, no one's asked, which is good. But no, it's it's. Well, we all know folks who've done morning shows. It's it's tough on your life, man. It's not yeah. for everybody. 
No, not for everybody. The Jays have a silver slugger, and Best Buy and Tim and Sid are giving away a 75-inch 8K QLED television tomorrow. We'll tell you how next. Right here on Tim and Sid with Stephen Brunt on Sportsnet Radio and TV. This is Tim and Sid with Stephen Brunt. We're almost done, Brunt. Wow. It fly by? <laughs> or am it I just did. hoping that? It flew that? by. Or am I just hoping no, that? No, it did fly by. That's <laughs> uh, they're all good. Uh, talk to Berkey, talk to Nate Burleson, talk to Ross Dripling. It's, yeah, that's a pr- pretty good group. I wish we had uh, a little bit more time with Ross Stripling because he seems like a really interesting dude. Yeah. Yeah, that's his, you know, his rap, like coming over here, among other things, was that he is a really interesting, really smart guy and a really, you know, kind of, again, however much you want to value these things, but a really solid, solid guy in the clubhouse. Again, I think the Dave Roberts shout out at the World Series yeah. might indicate that as well, right? And it'll be interesting to see him for a full season. I don't think he ever really found his legs pitching no. in for the Blue Jays, but we'll we'll see what he can do next year. Um, speaking of the Jays. They have a silver slugger in right field. Teoscar Hernandez wins the silver slugger award uh, for right fielders in the American League. Where are you on silver slugger awards? I think they're pretty darn meaningful. Um, and I think if you look, you know, at Teoscar's numbers, and you know, in the shortened season, he's an MVP candidate. And if you want to, you know, it depends. You you can, you know, arbitrary sample size. Like, where do you want to pick your Teoscar sample size? But you can do you, you can take kind of the last half of last year and the shortened season this year and say that's him you know that yeah. he's he is the real deal like you know they look they they got him for Francisco Liriano that's looking like a pretty good trade right now you know that <laughs> that that Francisco Liriano um that looks like a pretty good deal you know and i think a lot of us have kind of wondered what Teoscar really is but if this is what he really is and he's a corner outfielder and uh, and, a, and a guy who's going to challenge for you know for a batting title I will uh I will wait on my Teoscar um this is him conversation but you're right if you add up the end of last year and whatever this year is it's pretty damn close to a full season of that. Now we've seen guys have seasons before but to become just the 19th J to win the award is pretty damn impressive. So if we go back in history with the Jays and we obviously know Jose Batista won a Silver Slugger Award, and Josh Donaldson winning the MVP would win a Silver Slugger Award. I ask you, Stephen, as my dog comes running onto set because we are in 2020. Hey, Snoop, what's going on? Um, who was the last guy or guys, because it was the same year, to win a Silver Slugger outside of Josh Donaldson and Jose Batista? And I'll let the Tim and Citizens play along. This isn't to to try and hook you. This isn't easy, okay? This isn't okay. I'm not trying to trap you. It's not easy. So I'm just so it's a the last Blue Jay to win a Silver Slugger before Josh Donaldson. That's the question, right? And Jose Batista uh, because I think Batista and Jose may Batista, have won same one. year, right? Okay, uh, I would say off the top of my head, Carlos Delgado, but I'm I guess I'm guessing I'm wrong. Uh, you would be indeed incorrect. In 2009, and maybe this is why I'm iffy on the Silver Slugger, both Aaron Hill and Adam Lind won Silver Sluggers, and Lind's was at DH. 
<laughs> like, it is, I mean, there's only 19 Jays to have ever done it, and the rest of the guys are the who's who. It's Dave Winfield, Paul Molitor, Jose Canseco, Fred McGriff, Carlos Delgado did it three times. Uh, Damaso Garcia, Roberto Alomar, Kelly Gruber, Lloyd Bosby, George Bell, Jesse Barfield, Joe Carter, Sean Green, and Vernon Wells. Like, it's the who's who of Jays. Except for those two guys that I purposely set you up for, knowing that not many people would remember that. Yeah, well, I didn't. Yes. I, uh, look, Aaron Hill was really good then, though. Aaron Hill yeah. looked he looked like he was going to be a fixture and going to be a plus offensive player in the infield. So, yes, baseball can fool you. And that's why I am. I think I'm on the side of I'll wait on Teoscar Hernandez. Fair enough. All right. Uh, but they are trending the right way, and we'll see if over the next while uh, we might get a little bit of this juice that we are seeing right now in the rumor mill. And I don't know who it is, but, man, is it going to be fun to follow. Yeah, it's look, I think this is going to be – I didn't think last off season was going to be very eventful. turned out to be. But this one, yeah, I think I, it's going to be they, – they will do something dramatic, whether it's by trade or by – there's my prediction – I'm being said here. They will do something dramatic, either by trade or through free agency. Right. Understood. Uh, speaking of uh, yelling and screaming, I just looked on my TV and it says, without oh. evidence, Trump says he's being treated, cheated. And uh, Donald Trump is speaking for the first time since 2.30 oh. in the morning on election night. Um, all right. Better news. As, oh, fittingly, we lose my camera on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Let that be a tin hat thing for everybody. My camera oh, lost after I mentioned Donald Trump on national airwaves. Uh, I should know better. Since Xero has a day off, he'll be back tomorrow. And it is our final day of the Best Buy match game. Uh, it is trended here in Canada each and every time we have done it. Tomorrow, we award the grand prize. So make sure you tune in. That grand prize a Samsung 75-inch 8K QLED TV worth $6,000. All you got to do is get into the draw. Hashtag Tim and Sid Match Game X Best Buy. Best Buy X Match Game is the hashtag. Best Buy X Match Game. We'll give you one tomorrow, and you could win that lovely TV. Thanks for doing this, Stephen. I really appreciate you doing it, and I never take it for granted. It's wonderful to be able to do it with you. My pleasure, Timmy. Anytime. Now I got the technology. Yes. And remember, kids. Now wash your hands. Wash your hands. And wash your hands. Washing your hands. Washing your hands. Washing your hands.